one thing is we are using um, Slack, for example, as a communication tool. And there is an open risk and compliance uh, channel. We even have a risk and compliance meme channel. And now all the company <laughs> has uh, adopted that one. So it started as a nerd thing and now it's not that nerdy anymore. So, uh, But it's still funny. Dear listeners of The Laundry, welcome back to the first episode of the year. So when you think about a strategic competitive advantage in the financial and fintech world, the first thing to come to mind isn't necessarily compliance programs. From an external perspective, the compliance function can appear to be a cost center with no direct revenue generating capabilities. However, compliance can become a revenue driver and a driving force for growth. If the business invests in compliance activities and improve customer satisfaction, boost customer loyalty or reduce the chances of litigation. And in this episode, we are exploring this topic with today's guest, Silke Øverby, Head of Risk and Compliance at Vips Mobile Pay, the largest payment company in the Nordics. And this topic on how to turn compliance into a driving force for growth is something I know that you are passionate about. I'm so looking forward to exploring it with you. So welcome to The Laundry. Thank you so much for having me. Um, transforming compliance into or from a regulatory hassle to a competitive advantage is one of my favorite topics to talk about. So I'm really looking forward to that. That's perfect. That's perfect. And uh, it's uh, you are doing it in Vips Mobile Pay, the newly merged entity, which is huge. You have 11 million individuals, 400,000 merchants, and handle almost a billion transactions every year. That, that's a huge customer base uh, to manage. So, uh, Silke, to get us kicked off, in your words, how would you describe the role of risk and compliance? How that role plays within VIPS Mobile Pay and how does it differ from a more traditional banking institution? Um, working risk-based should be at the core of any financial institution. So like this, you could say we are just like any other bank, right? Um, but we try to um, take it to the next level. Um, we have def uh, clearly defined gold for risk and compliance and uh, our ambition is to use the risk-based approach to generate a competitive advantage by finding the right balance between simplification and uh, risk and compliance, so the regulatory compliance especially. Uh, for example, it's not that difficult to build a completely compliant uh, merchant onboarding flow, right? It's not very difficult to build a very user-friendly and agile merchant onboarding flow either. The art form is to do both things at the same time. So that's what we're trying to uh, try to master. And how do we get there? Well, we have defined three success criteria. The first one, the one I talk constantly about, is our early bird approach. Okay, that sounds super interesting. Yes, it's um, basically an invitation to all of uh, to everyone in the organization to invite risk and compliance early in all the processes. Um, I also every now and then tell my colleagues, give me a chance to say yes instead of no. Ask me early. And then the product managers will say, Silke never says yes. She says, yes, but. So unconditionally, yeses are um, not happening that often. But it's better than a no. And my experience, and I have a lot of experience. I'm one of the last Vips dinosaurs uh, living <laughs> in the organization. So my experience is the later you involve risk in compliance, the higher the no ratio will be. So early bird approach, that's one of the principles. The next one is um, 
taking the risk-based approach seriously. Risk-based prioritization does not only mean to decide in what order to do things, mm -hmm. but what are the most important issues? What are the biggest risks? And what are we going not to do at all? That's when really risk-based comes in. So not just the order, but decide what are we going to do, what are we not going to do. And uh, last but not least, um, our ambition is to reduce the risk in compliance hassle for the organization. And how are we doing that? Well, we are combining all our second-line functions in one unit. So risk management, internal control, information security. Uh, PSD2, AML, GDPR, there is an endless supply of three and four letter abbreviations here. Um, so everything combined in one unit. Uh, we want to avoid a situation where a product manager or tech lead is confronted on a Monday with um, risk, saying, now let's do a risk assessment. On Tuesday, information security is coming along and say, ah, how is your threat picture looking like? And then on Tuesday, uh, no, Tuesday we already had Thursday. On Thursday, then the DPO is coming and say, hey, did you uh, DPIA on your product? We want to align, we want to work together because in the end, to also the management and the board, does it really happen which of the three letters, or four letters, uh, PSD2, uh, which of the three or four letters abbreviations are the main risk driver? The total risk picture and the total control is important, and that's why we combine everything and try to always look at the holistic risk picture for a product, for a customer segment, but also for VIPs and mobile pay in a total. Oh, that's uh, super interesting. Is Do you think... It's a new trend to do it that way. Are you leading on? Do you see more like other mobile payments companies or other financial institutions doing it in that way? Or are you more unique in your approach? I would say it's a typical startup um, way to do it. Um, they most likely do it out of necessity. I mean, we did before. We didn't have that many people. So um, risk and compliance, one, uh, once way back was a one-woman show. So we didn't have very many other chances than doing it that way. And then the big question is when you grow, what is scalable? And um, of course, we get more uh, subject matter experts, but that doesn't mean we have to fragment the complete organization. And as I said, having all this regulatory hassle with dividing them into subjects um, that has to be treated separately and le uh, lose the holistic point of view. Um. So there's so many follow-up questions to that I want to answer, but uh, let's start with, you know, it sounds really pragmatic what you're doing, but and how do you balance this pragmatism um, with, you know, traditionally or KYC compliance AML? It's a very slow-moving, people-intensive process. How do you how do you get that balance, balancing act right? Yes. One very important ingredient is, again, the early bird approach. So being involved early, but it's combined with a curiosity from our side. I mean, yes, um, we are the second line. Um, Old-fashioned approach is second line of defense. I don't like that one, so I prefer the, 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 the three lines model without the defense. But yes, we are the second line. So yes, of course, we are a control function, but we are really, really curious to understand how do the business models work? How, what is typical for our customer segments? How is our technology working? Because only if you have that understanding of the value chain, of the competitive landscape, in addition to the regulatory landscape, you are able to be a real sparring partner an advisor for the business side. And that's one of the demands I have to my team to always keep this curiosity alive, to really 
be curious when we're meeting our product teams, our tech teams, our customer teams, learning how they're doing things, um, why they're doing that, and trying to explain it also the start with the why on our side. Why do we think what they're doing is not the best option? Why do we want them to change something? Um, and only to have the argument, yes, because we will get a fine if we don't do that, it's not always the best one. But um, telling people that what we are doing is actually ensuring the trust people have in Vips and MobilePay. I mean, prudent business operations is one of these examples. It's in the laws and regulations, but it's just common sense. Who would trust us with the money if we wouldn't operate our business prudently, if we wouldn't protect and secure their money, their personal data, and so on? So a lot of that is a no-brainer if you think half a second about, and people want to do the right thing. You just every now and then have to discuss with them what the right thing is in this situation. (laughs) And uh, yeah, true. And also, um, I just thought of it you know vips vips or was you know the number one brand in norway and has a high level of trust and you are right it's a very trustworthy brand and uh, seems like the work you guys are doing on compliance really goes in in hand to hand with that and you guys have that full overview but yeah you did mention the business side and the topic is how to turn compliance into a competitive advantage what how have you guys uh, do, have you have faced any challenges along the way? How how has it been developing this? You know, you've been there from uh, the start of Vips Dinosaur. What challenges have you met along the way, and how have you been able to support that tremendous growth that you've had? This podcast was brought to you by Strice. Are you looking for a way to streamline your KYC process? Do you need the confidence that comes from staying up to date with the latest regulations? Strice KYC Intelligence System has you covered. Banks and fast-growing fintechs trust Strice to automate KYC, drive better performance, and operationalize regulatory changes at incredible speeds, up to 100 times faster. So don't wait. Start taking advantage of Strice today. One of the biggest challenges are shortcuts. Um, A shortcut might be the best idea you had, um, especially when you're trying to test the product, see if uh, something is a good market fit and so on. So um, we we develop everything in something we call the loop. So where we go from um, experimenting to um, uh, verifying that it works to scaling. And there the problem is in the experiment phase shortcuts have to be taken because you you, you have to limit how much um, um, you uh, put into development of new processes and so on. But sooner or later, these shortcuts will prevent you from scaling. And finding that sweet spot where balance again, I'm the queen of balance, uh, not not in real life. I mean, you should see me in yoga. I'm a menace for everyone around me. But uh, in business uh, world, I'm the queen <laughs> of balance. So um, it's it's the it's the balance between the um, short time uh, to, uh, short time to market and uh, the, the shortcut to get you going. And when do we have to start the scaling and then you have to start stop thinking shortcuts and you have to think much more about lean processes. Um, Also, manpower is one of those. Very often, the fastest way to start with a new product is that I just throw a lot of manpower on it, right? I mean, uh, people having to fix things in the background, as long as the customer isn't affected and doesn't see that there is actually someone actually manually moving the bits and bytes. yeah, who, who cares? We have to put in some extra work and some long evenings, but that's what we are prepared to do. But the day comes when that will actually stop you from taking that product up the up the scale, and then you went too far with the shortcut. So that's one of the things I would say is really important when you're growing, both in the size of the company, the organization, number of employees, 
um, but also with the products, the technology, um, uh, basically processes everything. When you multiply the number of users, the number of merchants, the number of markets, the complexity increases, and then you don't want to have a lot of legacy spaghetti, I call it. <laughs> All the shortcuts together from the legacy spaghetti. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Another interesting question is KPIs. So what kind of KPIs does your team measure against? Do compliance have their own KPIs? Like how 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 does that work for you? Um here we took a shortcut. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a compliance approved shortcut. No, um we define risk and compliance as a business enabling function. We are there to support the business. So um, basically, VIPS Mobile Pay's goals and objectives are our goals and objectives. So we don't have very many um, risk and compliance related KPIs. It's different for the more operational units that are not part of my organization, but of the first line. So uh, financial crime and so on. So they, of course, have very clear KPIs, but not our team, not the risk and compliance team. Mm. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. As you said, it's a business enabler, so those are, you know, very Im to follow those metrics. I guess are uh, are the most uh, important. Um, do you do you have any you know big successes your risk and compliance team have uh, achieved over the last few years? Any particular moments that come to mind? Well, compliance nerd alert. Now it gets really yeah. nerdy. No, but there's one thing. I'm not sure if we were arrogant or naive. Um, I would do it again. I'm not sure if the developers would do it again together with me setting the business requirements. But we built actually our own uh, electronic transaction monitoring system from scratch. Um, that was a lot of long evenings and especially fulfilling all the requirements with testing and traceability and everything. It's, it's, it's really a quite a big task uh, we took there, but the end result speaks for itself because now we are able to see the holistic customer picture. We see, for example, end users and merchants combined. We can, um, uh, we our, our filters, our scenarios in electronic transaction monitoring, uh, especially when we start combining it with machine learning and the first rise of artificial intelligence now, they are so much more powerful. So I really think it was worthwhile all the time and sweat and tears we invested. But as I said, that's a really nerdy thing to point out, most likely. I think it's. Uh, I think that's a great story, and you know, amazing to hear that you were able to build out with such great, uh, great results. So big congrats, uh, big congrats on that. Um, another one is it's uh, similar to topics we've touched upon, but how do you ensure that your team remains, you know, as agile as it seems, and responds quickly to changes in the regulatory re environment? Because now it seems that regulations change all the time, wha whereas IT systems necess not necessarily do. So how do you guys stay on top of everything? Yes, there the balance comes in again. So it's uh, on the one hand, I of course expect anyone working in the risk and compliance team to be a subject matter expert and especially following um, regulatory trends. That's a, a given. We always have very good help from our legal department here who also will come up and alert us if there is something we uh, should have a closer look at. The other thing is, um, uh, as I mentioned, the, the, the deep understanding of our own business models because that's where compliance really comes in. Um, it's not enough to just understand the regulatory landscape or the changes in the regulatory picture. You have to be able to translate them. And with translate, I don't only mean to 
rewrite all the rules and regulations in a more vipsified, uh, mobilified, that doesn't work. Uh, <laughs> we have to find uh, something new here, uh, a language. But it, it, it's really to translate it, what does it mean for our business? How do we, with the technology uh, technology we have, and that's that where the technology understanding also comes in, with the processes we have, how do we manage that we compli- comply with these rules and regulations? So that's what we in compliance really do. We are... Um, we are we are we are following the regulatory side, but we are really translators, and we I expect people to be able to act, uh, to to uh, be part of the solution. That's what I always say, not being part of a control unit that owns the findings. I want risk and compliance to be part of the solution, mm-hmm. and then we are doing it right. And we have to challenge ourselves all the time, and uh, every now and then also we get feedback that now I really acted like a bank compliance uh, department, <laughs> and the answer is well, that's. Uh, this time we had to be a little bit more like a bank and a little bit less like a bit smaller pay. So that happens as well. Okay, that's interesting. So um, uh, have any or what sort of um, uh, things or strategies or technologies you guys have implemented or that has improved the customer experience? Like, is there any sort of things you've seen that links directly from, okay, this is what we've done to how the customers experience WIPS mobile pay? I'm mostly happy if we at least don't make the customer experience worse. Okay. So <laughs> let's uh, let's start there, right? I mean, uh, WIPS mobile pay really stands for simplification and smooth customer experience. And what we are doing is enabling the business to do that in a compliant way. But of course, there are a lot of process optimization possibilities also with uh, third-party providers like Strice, for example, where we really optimize the product flow but uh, or, the, or the process flow. Usually, I would assume the customers don't realize that at all. They only would realize so if it doesn't. that's the ungrateful work. part of working in com- compliance. As long as you're doing a great job, no one is realizing anything. The moment you have a major fuck-up, um, yeah. Then it's either out in the media or you get a lot of customer complaints or in the worst case, you get some fines. So, uh, yeah, you only can lose. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and um, you have recently merged. We talked about that in the intro. How has it been to try to merge two different, I can imagine, cultures and also compliance cultures? How How's that been like? Oh, loaded question. No. <laughs> <laughs> um on the surface, Vips and MobilePay look totally alike, right? Um, two strong brands standing for simplification and really good user experiences. Um, mobile payments wallet, um, offering peer-to-peer payments, merchant payments. I mean, where's the difference, you might think. Um, when you look under the hood, everything is different. Different business models, different technology, even in uh, how, we are, um, how, we, how we sort our payments is totally different. Um, Four-part uh, versus thir- three-party model, so stuff that's really nerdy as well. So, so there are a lot of difference, and also culture-wise, the difference was there, of course. I mean, it's like, imagine you're moving in with a new boyfriend, and then one of you guys is um, some kind of 
well, adorable, chaotic person, um, never showing up to the right time for dinner. Um, tax uh, declaration is done five minutes before the deadline, uh, but usually works out, something like that. And the other person sorts books alphabetically in the bookshelf and um, uh, is keeping all the uh, uh, receipts for purchases in a folder in case there's a warranty issue or whatever. So that's a little bit what we had. And you have two choices then. Either you give up on each other or you actually embrace it as a learning experience. Um, uh, best of two worlds comes to my mind now. And I would say we are still in the learning curve. Um, of course, WIPS has to get more structured. Oh, now I said... <laughs> <laughs> but we need to learn. I mean, MobilePay has all this experience from before. They have been um, a multinational company before the merger. They had uh, Denmark in Finland uh, with customers there. They had the branch office in Lithuania, while WIPS was Norwegian only. Uh, WIPS has there... We had our advantages as well, so it's still trying to combine these models, but it's, it's mostly peacefully. So, yeah. So we are um, on a learning uh, journey together, I would put it like that. It must be exciting also to be able to create this Nordic um, payment uh, giant that can compete on a more you know, European and global scale as well. It is a new challenge and it is definitely exciting to think about where else it might take us. Yes, yeah. because if it works in the Nordics, why not in the rest of Europe? So yeah. that's a really... But, but let's focus on the Nordics first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, talking about compliance and culture, a topic that we have covered in the laundry before quite extensively is, you know, the importance of tone from the top, that the top management's, um, um, their, um, yeah, how they speak about compliance, uh, that matters a lot on how it trickles down into the organization. And how does the VIPs mobile pay team that, you know, management team that you sit in, how how do you guys show your support and the importance of compliance to the rest of the organization? The most important part is that all my colleagues in the le leadership team, they're really good in inviting us in. And that has to start on the top, right? If risk and compliance are treated almost like... Um, <laughs> an external auditor uh, where everyone is a little bit fearing uh, that they are coming tomorrow and want to look into all your books. That's done something that is filtering down, but uh, I never experienced anything like that. So it's always this partnership. This also um, balanced together. They give us the chance to learn about the business models, about our customer segments. I mean, we wouldn't be nothing without the business. On the other side, the business side also would have a problem without compliance because then we most likely would lose our license and be uh, shut down sooner or later. So we need each other. And I think that's an understanding that is really there and how to make a partnership out of that and not um, a controller and a controlee. Mm. Yeah, that's... Uh, so, I, you know, I keep coming back to this, but so you talk about this partnership with the business side. How in the day-to-day... Do you work then with the business side? Is it the head of sales that you work you work closely with, or just trying to get like the a picture here, and also maybe some tips for you know other um, second line who maybe should work closer with the business side. One thing is we are using um, Slack, for example, as a communication tool. And there is an open risk and compliance uh, channel. We even have a risk and compliance meme scandal, uh, uh, channel where we are making fun out of ourselves. And now all the company <laughs> has uh, adopted that one. So it started as a nerd thing and now it's not that nerdy anymore. So, uh, But it's still funny. Uh, but um, it, we, it's it's the open, uh, open communication channel that is always there. And yes, um, 
I work, uh, or we work as a team, we work both top down. So we start, for example, at least quarterly, all the risk owners. And for me, the risk owners, they always start in the leadership team and they have then uh, delegated some of the responsibility to the next uh, level and so on. So um, we insist at least on a quarterly basis to go through the risk picture with them, to dis- discuss us through that, to be open to, yeah, let's uh, have a uh, let's have a better talk about uh, that one, what that really me- it means for us. Also trying to help them to see the complete picture avoiding that we start developing into silos, you know, the user silo and the merchant silo and so on. That's exactly what we do not want to have working cross-functional. So um, I'm working with everything from uh, the sales teams, also with the head of sales, of course, product um, uh, managers, tech leads, um, engineering managers, uh, our, our customer service. So we are not discriminating. Whoever asks for help will get help. And if they don't ask for help, we will sooner or later discover it later, uh, latest with the next quarter and then we will actually recommend a little bit more strongly that maybe they should talk to us yeah that's um interesting and uh, yeah you talk you talked yeah each quarter sit down give an outlook of the challenges and the risks ahead if you look now at 2023 what are uh, what are sort of the main um challenges on the, for you guys at risk and compliance what are you focused on what are some of the bottlenecks you're trying to solve um the bottlenecks are always the whole um, capacity question, especially um, do I need more manpower? Should I um, invest more in technology? The whole ethical dilemma around automized decision making, machine learning, artificial intelligence and everything. So that's one of the big bottlenecks, especially because this expertise is rare as well. So that's uh, one of the areas where we have to um, look deeper and we'll have to investigate finding out what do we want to do another area is the um, supply chain management third party providers and so on i mean the whole geopolitical landscape is changing uh, has been changing since uh, last year also before of the, uh, before that um, uh, it's no secret that vips is cloud-based um, and all, all the cloud suppliers of course have support personnel around the world so what risk is that uh, po- uh, yeah what what risk are we exposed to here here um, how how can we make sure that um, no support personnel from countries where we see the, think the country risk is too high has access and so on so a lot of the third-party management regulatory compliance there that will be uh, a real bottleneck also might turn to that you for example have to say yeah we can't work with that supplier anymore have to change and then i'm afraid that we also will have to look um more into the financial crime i mean everyone knows that when the macroeconomic goes down the crime goes up Mm. Uh, that's not new Um, fishing has been a trend for years but what we see and that is worrying me is how do I call that? Crime as a service, maybe? Yeah. Um, before, you had to have some <laughs> knowledge about how to uh, do a phishing attack, for example. But now there are all these phishing kits out there. So you can build up as a criminal organization these big networks uh, of, of mules out there. They don't have to be highly trained. You just need someone who is um, having basic knowledge. And that's worrying me. I don't like that as a risk manager and compliance manager. Yeah, so are there, um, talking about that, are there any sort of other, um, yeah, what are your main sort of worries uh, of the criminals taking advantage of um, VIPs mobile pay in terms of like, where do you see the biggest risks there? I saw recently there was a case in Denmark with over 200 people arrested in a money mule mm. network and so forth. Is 
Is that one of the areas that you worry about? That's one of the areas. And otherwise, it's as I said, um, if you manage to take over the VIPs identity of a person, that's identity theft. I mm. mean, um, that's uh, you. You can do uh, quite a lot with uh, with the VIPs account of someone else. So, so, so that and it goes right on the core of being a trustworthy payment service, of course. So that is very important for us to make sure that every identity we have out there, all four million of them we have in Norway, eleven million we have on the Nordic scale, they are secured, without increasing the level of hassle that you have to log in with BankID all the time, something like that. So it's it's again a balance question. How do I balance the, the, the security and need to have a trustworthy payment service with the user friendliness and uh, the easiness to use as the user expects? Mm. And um, what's been some of the worst breaches that you've seen for mobile payments in your career? Not necessarily VIPs, but maybe... Somewhere else. It's not uh, a breach per se, but what is causing very much frustration frustration on our side is that we see a lot of companies with uh, business models that should be regulated because, for example, they accept payments on behalf of others and then they're paying out again, but they are not. Um, so they are kind of operating in a gray zone and they are uh, a constant challenge for us because then we don't know what to do with that kind of uh, merchant customer especially. Um, uh, do we accept the indirect compliance risk, AML risk we have because we basically don't see where the money ends up. We don't like that, but then you have to identify them first. So that's one of the, the constant uh, sources of frustration in our daily work. Finding them, deciding what to do, what not to do. Is it such a model is it not yeah that's uh, there are a lot of graysons there mm, interesting uh, any other uh, areas on the merchant side because uh, on the co on the corporate side that you see as a challenge that's also a topic that we've covered a bit mm. before here um, one of the things that I think is most uh, difficult to control is the complete donation sector. I mean, there are, of course, a lot of um, uh, great organizations. They're really, really doing a great way, uh, great work uh, collecting money, um, helping others and so on. And then there are, unfortunately, this black sheep uh, in between. And here the transaction patterns also are alike. I mean, also because um, the whole model is that you fool the giver, the donator, right? So, of course, the transaction patterns are alike. But that's a real hassle as well to work because um, I think um, it's actually part of our, our, our social responsibility to support donations and to make sure like the uh, big TV action we have in Norway every year, we are very important. That's a really important part of uh, uh, what we are working with. So we really, really want to support all of these uh, organizations to collect the money as easily and as cheaply as possible. Uh, but on the other hand, we really have to make sure that we find out who is actually not uh, doing what they say they do. In the worst case, they do some type of uh, best case it's money laundering worst case it's terror financing right uh, right so it's it's really that's a really important sector for us and it's at the same time it's one of the most high risk sectors where you can operate mm. yeah um again back to the outlook of 2023 maybe not on a vips mobile pay specific um looking at it through a mobile pace vips mobile pay specific lens but in general in the compliance world where, what are some of the big trends that you see for 2023? Well, it is the constantly changing regulatory landscape, of course. Um, everything from the first talks of PSD3 
Uh, it's like, um, yeah, we are still busy with PSD2, but uh, PSD3 is coming for sure sooner or later to, um, uh, of course, also new trends in KVC AML. And otherwise, it's really the, the one of the topics I was a little bit into before, the whole automized decision making. Um, and all these ethical dilemmas around that. I think that will be a problem for um, not only banks, uh, all kind of payment institutions, especially fintechs, because they may be tending a little bit more towards the automated decisions. Uh, traditional bank maybe would escalate earlier to manual decision handling yeah. and the flow in between. I mean... Um, finding out where is the automated process really the best one to make a decision and where do I need the, uh, in German we say Fingerspitzengefühl, how, mm. how on earth do you translate that into English now? But it's really to to have the stomach feeling about here's something fishy. That's where, I mean, the machine won't give you that. They won't tell you, ah, I think something was fishy. Yeah, let's look a little bit closer. They so need some patterns. Was it what's uh, what's your stance on this in Vips Mobile Pay? What what route have you guys chosen in this? Um, we are um, experimenting with uh, the automated decision making. Of course, um, it helps uh, to um, have better and leaner processes. Um, so it's 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 basically a no brainer. But we are careful about how to introduce it. So usually, when we start with something like that, we do um, a really huge sample base every now and then we even in the beginning almost work parallel like letting the team work and the the machine work and then we see if we end up with the same conclusions uh, things like that and then there is also some of our scenarios they're just so high risk those we would never escalate it into a machine learning decision making process but those we will always handle manually for example mm. uh, and as you said new fintechs they might be leaning more towards the automation route because, you know, merchant onboarding and the backlog, it's a constant uh, problem. What tips would you give to, you know, new companies starting out in the mobile payment uh, space right now and building their compliance programs from scratch? Embrace, especially in Norway, embrace the technology that is there. I mean, we are in a kind of luxury situation because um, we have a lot of trustworthy data sources like the Brønnesund register, um, uh, like a Strice report. So you can have, uh, you can get a, a lot of um, decision that you can feed into the, your automized decision uh, decision making process, and then simply depending on your risk appetite, find out where is the point where you have to escalate out of the automatic decision making and where you have to go over to human handling. And if you find the balance, the sweet spot there, then you are set up to. Um, yes, then uh, you have a winning uh, solution most likely. Uh, yeah, and uh, um, back to you know tips, tips and tricks. What do you think is the most important skill set that a compliance pr a person, a compliance professional, should possess? I can tell you what I'm looking for when I hire people. Yes, so everyone who wants to uh, <laughs> wants to apply at a VIPs position now follow <laughs> what I'm saying. No, I'm just kidding. No, but it's the the, the curiosity. The willingness to learn, to actually never stop learning. Um, the understanding that um, regulatory compliance knowledge and expertise is not enough. That you also need to combine it with the business insights, with the technology understanding. Because otherwise you are a very theoretically operating compliance officer who will never understand what it means for, for, the, for the business side. And last but not least, uh, working with compliance for me um, means 
you work a lot with frameworks and policies and standards and controls. That's part of our daily job, right? But you have to understand, really, at the end of the day, you're working with people. Mm. Because all these frameworks, they are all only there to make sure that everyone is behaving in the way we want them to, them to behave. So it's for me, it's like when you are at uh, one of these nice park or, or green areas, right? You always see that some architect had some really nice design of all the path and everything. And then you always see this mud path right through the grass. <laughs> And that's just for me, that's common. I mean, that's just as a typical human behavior. So if you as a compliance officer only are the architect to make all these really nice pathways, but you never expect that someone is actually taking the shortest, uh, shortest way from A to B, then you failed. So you have to find out, do we, can we accept that people are going through the mud and then they get their feet a little bit dirty and that's a risk we accept? Is there a landmine there? Then maybe they stop walking there if I put a landmine, uh, that's the framework by the way, mm -hmm. then I put a landmine uh, sign there and then they most likely will find a new way, but anyways, not that one. Um, or, or is it, um, or, or do I have a kind of uh, audience here who simply will stop doing that if I tell them, oh, you're not allowed to do that. I mean, every now and then... Uh, It's, we don't have that many people in VIPs, but some, some, some uh, people, maybe in some banks it works if you simply say don't do that and then don't do it. I don't know. Mm. But, uh, but it's, 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 it's about um, behavior, people. That's really your customer. So the organization is that back to the enabling function. So understanding that we are not a control function, we are an enabling function, and then um, we are good to go. Mm. Uh, <laughs> that's actually, you know, that was a very good image of it uh, or the metaphor of it. I, I like that one. And I see that we have to wrap up, but I have a final question, and that is, what is what is the best thing to what is the best thing about working in compliance? Ha, being allowed to be a best service all day. <laughs> German best service, even worse. <laughs> oh, uh, I mean. I, I really enjoyed our conversation, Silke. I would love to have you back on the laundry for another topic for another episode, but thank you so much for coming. It's been great. This has been real fun, so thank you very much for having me. Thank you, and uh, we will catch you in an episode next week. Your money make a world go round.